Hello and welcome back to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes your favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and I feel like I should have looked into some of the fanfiction that was written for my movie that I'm doing this week. Okay. <laughs> Just because it leaves, it leaves many doors open by the end, which we're kind of taking advantage of. We're also kind of just starting the whole thing fresh. Okay. This week, I am talking about Love Actually. Yay! The 2003 British Christmas romantic comedy, written and directed by Richard Curtis, featuring an all-star cast of every single British actor that was important in 2003, and also Martine McCutcheon. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Martine. But this was the last time you were relevant. (laughs) I wish things turned out better for you. Yeah. So, uh, just before this went up, I saw a post on Twitter about someone who had done a back-to-back feature of 300 and Love Actually. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Because the initial thinking was that if you're going to watch something as masculine as 300, you better follow it up with something like Love Actually, which is, you know, it's a rom-com. Quote-unquote, a chick flick. Yeah, a, a check flick. I'm just gonna, yeah. It's I feel like flick. there are so much more feminine movies out there. <laughs> like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yeah, well, what's funny is that a side character, oh, here, let me look this up. Because <laughs> Rodrigo Santero appeared in Love Actually. Oh, yeah. And he's also in um, Westworld now. It also seems like he's going to be playing Jesus in a... Oh, he played Jesus in a Ben-Hur reboot. Yeah, he looks like he could play Jesus. Yeah. Oh, and I guess he was also in What to Expect When You're Expecting, which is a movie that takes many notes from Love Actually. Ah. And Rio 2096, which is not a sequel to the movie about the birds. Oh. But he was also in Rio 2, which is a sequel to the movie about the birds. (laughs) (laughs) and Rio I Love You which is not related to either of those movies birds or otherwise (laughs) (laughs) anyway what are we gonna do with Love Love, Actually Love Actually let me explain Love Actually to you yes well I mean not not to you Lindsay because you've seen it at least once I showed it to you Mm -hmm. I was like Lindsay this is my favorite Christmas movie it's terrible let's watch it (laughs) It's, it's not that bad but it's definitely something that I can point to to understand the to understand the difference between a good story and a story that's just good at emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. Or basically, my my thesis statement, if I were to write an essay on love, actually, is that a good score can make you look past so many problems. Yes, it is the story of like several different groups of people whose plots intersect randomly, but not necessarily in important ways. So, for example, we have David. Also, I'm going to be going in and out of a British accent in this whole time, because a lot of people have British accents so thick that it seems like a parody, but it's not. So we've got the new Prime Minister, David, and he's starting to fall for his sister, Natalie. He also has a sister named Karen, played by Emma Thompson, and she's going through a rough patch in her marriage to Harry, who's played by Alan Rickman, who is attracted to his secretary, Mia, but he's also trying to set up one of his other co-workers, Sarah, with the sexy Carl, played by Rodrigo Santoro, and Sarah's played by Laura Linney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're also... Sarah has a mutual friend with Jamie. I hate Uncle Jamie! Uncle Jamie's great. 
Jamie is in France working on a mystery novel because he just found out that his wife or girlfriend was sleeping with his brother, and then he falls in love with the Portuguese maid, even though neither of them speak the same language. Um, and also, at the same time, there's Billy Mac, who's like a washed-out, burnt-out rock star, and he's writing a new Christmas song, which is just a, a Christmas-ified version of Love is All Around by the Trogs. <laughs> I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Feel it in my toes. Christmas is all around me. And so the feeling grows. <laughs> this is shit, isn't it? Yep, solid gold shit, maestro. I can quote this movie backwards and forwards. I think I've watched it every year for Christmas since, like, 2007. Well, it's one of those, like, standard movies that you watch for Christmas. Ours is Die Hard. Hell yeah, it is! <laughs> <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> also, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently it wasn't even that big of a hit when it first came out, but yeah, it's just slowly grown into a Christmas staple. Mm-hmm. Also, um, so so fun fact, Andrew Lincoln was in this. Okay. And he later went on to become Rick Grimes of The Walking Dead. Okay. <laughs> also, also, I, I Billy Mack is played by Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. I saw him in stuff like Underworld and Pirates of the Caribbean before I saw him in this. So he went from, like, scary vampire overlord... To scary Davy Jones squid monster. (laughs) To aging and cussing rock star. (laughs) Ask me anything, I'll give you a straight answer. Uh, Best shag you ever had. Britney Spears. I'm just kidding, she was rubbish. (laughs) Kids, here's a serious message from your Uncle Billy. Don't buy drugs. Become famous and they'll give you drugs for free. (laughs) That is true. Um, my favorite thing is uh, Alan Rickman is in this. And of course, Alan most Rickman. of us know him from Harry Potter. Mm. <laughs> but it's an interesting generational thing with a point of reference because going back to Die Hard, a lot of people were introduced to him in Die Hard as Hans Gruber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then of course, my, my favorite Alan Rickman performance is from Blow Dry. <laughs> Which is an obscure British film that only seven people have seen, and two of those are me and my mom. <laughs> it's also got oh oh what's the, who who was the pretty boy from Pearl Harbor? There were two of them. They both look the same. The younger one. Oh fuck. Josh Hartnett. Yeah. It's got Josh Hartnett trying his best at a British accent because he plays Alan Rickman's son. Results are mixed. He could barely do a southern accent. <laughs> it's also got Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Liam Neeson's niece, son. Liam Neeson, Neeson, and Neeson, and Neeson, Neeson. It's got Liam Neeson in it, and he plays a recent widower whose wife passed away, which is really hard to think about, considering that's what happened to his real-life wife, Natasha Richardson, too. Except in the movie, they had a long time to prepare, and in real life, they did not. Ooh. Also, Thomas Brody Sangster plays his stepson. And I, do, I don't know how old the character was supposed to be. I have no idea how Thomas is supposed to be in this. He's he's either 7 or 25. It's Thomas Brody Sangster. <laughs> Kids look the same for all 30 years of his life. Yeah. That boy. Damn. What sort of genes are going on? Oh, gosh. Josh, it wasn't just a British accent. Josh Hartnett was trying a Yorkshire accent and blow dry. 
Blow Dry, unfortunately, we could never talk about it because Blow Dry is a perfect movie and I can't remake it. That's fair. So instead, we'll talk about Love Actually. So basically, everyone's stories just kind of intersect and collide with each other at various points, but they don't always necessarily reflect on each other. It's just like, oh, Jamie just so happens to know Sarah, and Sarah just so happens to work with Harry, and he just happens to marry to the Prime Minister's sister, which they really don't do anything about. Like, you'd think Emma Thompson could get more clout being the sister of the Prime Minister? Yeah, you'd think, but, like, sometimes Prime Ministerial families don't get a lot of attention. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it works in Britain. Yeah. Um, I know here in Canada, people barely acknowledge that the prime ministerial family exists. <laughs> but also, unlike America, the head of state and head of government are two separate entities, and therefore the head of state and their family get a lot of attention. And not even like the governor general. The governor general exists. It's the queen and her family that get the attention. Yeah. America just really wants a royal family, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. Based on reactions to the recent season of The Crown, people are have decided to once again destroy the royal family. Uh, but also not all royal families are alike. Look at the Norwegian royal family. That's true. And people still like Meghan and Harry. Yep. And everyone, everyone has turned on William. It's kind of hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I still wish that, you know, Harry had become our governor general. <laughs> what if Harry runs for prime minister? <laughs> what if Meghan does? <laughs> she needs to get Canadian citizenship first. And then everyone and then everyone would say, oh my gosh, Meghan Markle is the first Canadian Prime Minister, because no one's going to remember the fact that your mom was Prime Minister for six months. Yeah. Anyway. So back to Love Actually. Um, it's a fun movie on account of it manages to suck you in and not really think about the fact that all of these love stories, like, there's like three different love at first sight things that happen over the course of five weeks leading up to Christmas. And mm -hmm. there's a really good quote here based on how some of these stories uh, just toy out, that... What's the article from? It's, from? it's an Atlantic article, and it says the following. I think it offers up at least three disturbing lessons about love. First, that love is overwhelmingly a product of physical attraction and requires virtually no verbal communication or intellectual-slash-emotional affinity of any kind. Second, that the principal barrier to consummating a relationship is mustering the nerve to say I love you, preferably with some grand gesture, and that once you manage that, you're basically on the fast track to nuptial bliss. And third, that any actual obstacle to romantic fulfillment, however surmountable, is not worth the effort it would require to overcome. So, because let me tell you how some of these plots play out. So, um, David and Natalie. David ends up... Okay, I'm going to have to give a lowdown on every single uh, arc in this film. There's <laughs> yeah. like eight of them. Also, this one was two and a half hours long, and it feels that way because it has like seven different climaxes. <laughs> so... Billy Mac and Joe, they never directly interact with any of the cast, but because they're famous, like, you see them interviews happening in the background for all these other people. Their mm -hmm. arc basically goes that Billy Mac realizes that he loves his manager Joe, but in a platonic way. That's the other thing, is that everyone in this movie is heterosexual, and I hate it. That's one thing I'll be changing. Okay. But yeah, basically, Billy goes through the whole movie, like, saying how much she, like, hates his career, hates how it's going, and he hates his manager, and then he's like, actually, my manager's been here for me the whole time, let's hug it out. 
It's, it is a really nice um, deconstruction of toxic masculinity because they're both kind of like weird about saying their feelings, but also their feelings are legitimate mm-hmm. and they have a big hug. And then Billy says, come on, let's go get pissed and watch porn. <laughs> then there's Jamie and Aurelia. Because um, Jamie only speaks English and Aurelia only speaks Portuguese. And But eventually they kind of build a rapport. Um, it happens after Jamie's manuscript accidentally flies into the lake. And so she dives in. She has a sexy undressing scene to go <laughs> jump into the lake and get it. And then he has to chase after her. And of course, Jamie is Colin Firth. Yep. <laughs> English darling Colin Firth, who I'm pretty sure this was right after the, um, what was, what was he in? Pride and Prejudice. Pride, Pride and Prejudice was about a decade before this. Yeah. And, and that's the one where he got all wet in Pride and Prejudice. And it was like, ooh, wet Colin Firth. <laughs> and then this one, he's like, he, he barges over to like the side of the lake and he tries to take his jumper off and immediately falls in. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to that version of Pride and Prejudice, that was the first time we had ever really seen deliberately sexy Darcy. <laughs> that was the first time anyone in Britain had a sexual emotion. <laughs> Centuries of work by the Church of England demolished because of Colin Fath! <laughs> so Jane would Jane Austen would be so happy with that scene. <laughs> Oh yes. <laughs> so they don't, they don't, they still don't quite understand each other for most of the thing. But basically, uh, they they they're able to kind of pantomime their way into a conversation, and they start to grow their chemistry. Uh, and then, like at the end, like Jamie has to go back to to London for Christmas, and he's like, "It's the best part of my day getting to drive you home." And Aurelia's like, "It's the worst part of my day having to leave you." And then, like you, we see a brief clip of him learning Portuguese, and then it like. He goes to his family's house and opens the door and like you can see his brother in the background like oh no it's it's the guy whose wife I slept with who is also my brother and apparently none of the family gives a shit about this because it's the Brits so always be polite even with an affair yeah and they're like look everyone it's Uncle Jamie and Jamie's like yes I'm here um and I have to go and he just drops all the Christmas presents and then leaves and then all the kids <laughs> on the staircase like I hate Uncle Jamie I hate Uncle Jamie. <laughs> Um, the and then he part flies. Of you gifts. At least you're not getting the Jerry Springer fight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Be happy, Bryn, that you don't have the rednecks like we do. <laughs> he flies directly to. I'm going to assume France, and then like little Portugal within France. I'm assuming this is what happens. Basically, he he it, tracks it looked down like Portugal. It looked like he went directly to Lisbon. Okay. Basically, he, he finds Aurelia's neighborhood, and, like, he's at her house, and he, like, in broken Portuguese, he's like, I would like to be of the asking for the marriage of the hand of your daughter. And her dad's <laughs> like, ah, come out here! And then, like, he has a different daughter, uh, there's a, like, she has a sister, and the sister's fat, and they're like, oh no, it's the fat sister. That's the other thing I'll be changing. Yeah. Fat people. <laughs> they yeah. exist, and they're hot. Yeah. Don't be an ass. But yeah, I liked that they kept the whole, like, he was having trouble with syntax. Because <laughs> that is hard. <laughs> yep. And so the dad and the sister lead them to the restaurant that she works at. And, like, the whole neighborhood follows them. <laughs> and it's like, this man's gonna go kill Aurelia. Cool! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and they get to the restaurant and everyone stops and Aurelia's like looking out from like the, the balcony dining room and he's like, Aurelia, I am the coming of the to Portugal for marriage you with me because sometimes the transparency of things is so great and I'll inhabit you or you'll inhabit London with me and it will be great and I understand that I sound like a crazy person, but let's do this thing. <laughs> and and then her sister says, say yes, and then when you go to London, you can marry one of the royals. <laughs> And then it turns out that Aurelia had learned English. <laughs> and she's like, uh, the, I, I'm the like what you say. Uh, yes, I is being my answer. <laughs> like, you learned English, just in cases. <laughs> and so then they, yeah, so five weeks of knowing each other, knowing very little about each other, not even speaking the same language, but they're already married. So that's like, it's very romantic, but also a little, hmm. That's <laughs> happened before. Yeah, but was it, was this a smart plan? Well, we're mostly talking about like the World War One gener or World War Two generation, from what I'm thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Like I was, I, I was explaining this to my mom how like the the timeline of some of these relationships is way too fast for them to be healthy, and my mom's like, "Okay, but Tanner, your grandparents got married like after being engaged for six months." I'm like, "That is a long time for back then." Well. It also depends, because they might have known each other for a long time, and it's just like, hey, let's get married, and let's, you know, not... We don't have to plan so much. Yeah, that's true. Um, also compare one of my great-grandparents' marriage proposals, which is basically the, the guy sending a letter to the woman saying, I feel like having you as a wife would be a sound economic decision. And the wife said, okay. Um, one of my grandparents... One of my uh, great great-grandparents so he had been married to my great-great-grandma she dies and then her sister comes to help out because the kids are fairly young he needs extra help oh no and they wind up married oh boy <laughs> it was a lot more common than you think i mean yeah but still then you're your own cousin <laughs> <laughs> from what i understand they did not have children but like it's still one of those really grandpa <laughs> i get it you're lonely <laughs> also i'm pretty sure it was a great aunt who started dating a great uncle because she threw a tomato at him at the grocery store good move <laughs> yep <laughs> um but anyway so that's uh aurelia and jamie then there's daniel and sam so daniel's liam neeson and he's the stepfather to sam an author of the movie sam calls him daniel and then right at the end he calls him dad oh and Sam is distraught because his mom just died, but also he's fallen in love with a girl in school, and her name's Joanna, and his mom's name is also Joanna because you're never too young for an Oedipal complex, but we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> um, basically, Sam's like, Joanna doesn't even know that I exist, and he just, I don't know why he sounds like a Dickensian orphan. <laughs> he looks like a Dickensian orphan in that movie. <laughs> he look, he, Thomas Brody Sangster still looks like a Dickensian orphan, except now yeah. he has a mustache. <laughs> Daniel is like, somehow I'll find, somehow I'll find a way to teach you how to uh, make this girl notice you and fall in love with you. This is not even close to Liam Neeson. No, he's Irish. <laughs> oh, Sammy. <laughs> it's clear that he's been crying, but as far as I know, he could be injecting heroin into his eyeballs. Really? At the age of 11? Oh, maybe not his eyeballs, maybe just his veins. But yeah, so then Sam decides he's going to learn how to be a drummer to impress Joanna, and it works. I mean, drummers are pretty cool. Yeah. 
she like she notices him, but she doesn't notice him during the concert, or it's like he doesn't have a chance to talk to her during the concert because she's she's going back to America immediately after the concert, and so they have to chase her to the airport, and then Sam like sneaks through the gate and like chases her down and like through all of the boarding stuff until he gets where just before she's boarding the plane, she's like, Sam! And he's like, You know my name! And she's like, Of course I do. And then she gives him a kiss on the cheek, and he's like, Yeah! And his face turns bright red because Thomas Party Sangster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then there's Karen and Harry. Karen is played by Emma Thompson, and she is Daniel's best friend. She comforts him after his wife dies, and she she says the very English comforting thing of, "Don't be su- don't be moping so much. You'll never get a shag if you're such a sissy." <laughs> also, Karen is a prime minister's brother, but again, that has almost no bearing on the plot. Yeah, that's weird. What did my brother do today? He stood up for his country. What did I do? I made a papier-mâché lobster head. Because her daughter got her role in the nativity play, and she's first lobster, because there's more than one lobster at the birth of Jesus. (laughs) Also present at the birth of Jesus were some penguins, a whale, and (laughs) Spider-Man. We had to make do with camels. No, when I was little, my mom and my grandpa, the minister, (laughs) always said that every animal was present for the birth of Christ. (laughs) Which meant that I any little toy animals I had, I could put in the nativity. Now, putting dinosaurs in there may have been pushing it. <laughs> because everyone knows that Jesus killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> Anyways, the main thing going on with Karen and Harry is that Harry is being seduced by Mia, his new secretary. Um, and my mom fucking hates that bitch. <laughs> she, every time she shows up and she's like... Hello, Harry. I'm wearing something sexy today. I've I've uh, organized the Christmas party to happen in an art gallery where there are many dark corners for dark deeds. And I think you should buy me the ugliest fucking necklace in the world. <laughs> I'm glad to know that the opinion that, that the necklace Harry buys her is the ugliest piece of shit is common. But anyways... <laughs> Karen spots him, like, buying a necklace, and, like, she sees it, like, the box in his pocket and peeks because she's like, ooh, Harry got me a necklace. He must really like me and get me a fancy gift this year. And then come Christmas Eve, she opens what she thinks is the necklace box, but then it turns out to be a Joni Mitchell CD. And it's like, it's something personal, but it's not the necklace. And, like, she realizes everything that's been happening. And so then after the Christmas pageant, she walks up to him and she's like, what would you do if come Christmas Eve... Your husband bought a beautiful golden necklace and then gave it to someone else. And you have to wonder, is it just a necklace? Or is it a necklace and sex? Or, worst of all, a necklace and love? Would you uh, cut and run? Or would you solder on, knowing that everything going on then is going to be a little bit worse? And then by the end, because there's like a, a time skip finale taking place a month after Christmas, where like a whole bunch of people are coming back from the airport, because airports are a theme in this movie. Yeah. Um, and like Harry shows back and the kids are like, yay, it's dad. And uh, Karen is like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> so we don't even get a clear answer. And also, also, there was like a sequel uh, in the 2017 Red is No Day special, and it was boring as shit because there was like no updates to anyone's story except like the children are grown up and they're gonna get married, and someone found an additional girlfriend or something. But because that happened after Alan Rickman passed, we didn't even get like a, a pickup on Harry and Karen's story. So it's just like, what the fuck is happening with them? Who knows? But yeah, Mia's a bitch. Um, who else is there? There's, then there's Mark and Juliet and Peter. 
So Mark is Andrew Lincoln, and he's the guy who has the cards because he's in love with his best friend's new wife, but he doesn't want his best friend or wife to find out about that, and so he just acts very standoffish to her, apparently. Here's the thing is that everyone says, oh, Mark, you're so mean to Juliet, and you don't like Ju Juliet. And, but we never see him that, because it's supposed to be romantic that he has fallen in love with Juliet, but he can't do anything about it. And it's like, oh, tragic romance. Oh no, he's got all of these cards and music playing while he like says that he, without hope or agenda, he loves her because it's Christmas and he has to tell the truth, but he's not going to pursue her. And she's like, that's very sweet. I give you a kiss on cheek and then leave. And it's like, okay, but you're kind of stalking her. Because he also, he took a wedding video of just her. Mm -hmm. Like it's all close-ups of her. And it's, like, very unnerving. Yeah. And, yeah. So, the whole thing's kind of iffy. That's the iffiest one. That's the one that holds up the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, Peter is one of three black people in the whole movie. Yeah. So, waste of a good Chouette Elijah for. Yeah. But anyways, um, okay, I talked about David and Natalie. Did I talk about David and Natalie? Oh, no. Okay, so... <laughs> David and Natalie, uh, with the, with them, Billy Bob Thornton shows up playing the president of the United States. Yep, and he's gross, and he's supposed to be a pistache of George uh, W. Bush. Yes, w. pastiche. Yeah, pastiche. But honestly, he comes <laughs> off more like um, more of a pistache. <laughs> <laughs> he was very Billy Bobby. Yeah, he's very Billy Bob Thornton, and he like he flirts with Natalie. And the so David so David's been spending all this time being essentially the Justin Trudeau of two thousand three London, where it's like I believe that we need to make changes. We're not here, but not now, and not ever. Mm -hmm. Now, who do you have to screw to get a chocolate biscuit? <laughs> but then he sees President Billy Bob Thornton flirting with Natalie, and he's like, "Actually, I don't like the way our relationship is with the United States, and I will not let us be bullied by them anymore." And he does a big speech about how the great things in England are like. The, the the feet of David Beckham in Harry Potter. And it's like, okay, it was 2003. You didn't know any better. Yeah. And then and then he's like, actually, basing my political decisions on who is and is not flirting with the girl I have a crush on is probably a bad idea. She should be reassigned. And then she sends him a card and she's like, I'm sorry I got seduced by Billy Bob Thornton, but I am in love with you. Fun fact. And he's like, shit, I have to go apologize to her. And, <laughs> and he's like... They're like, where, where does she live? And he's like, I have no idea. Uh, Rudyard Street, the dodgy end. And then they go there, and it's like, my god, it's the longest street in the world. <laughs> so he knocks, he goes door to door, knocking, and it's like, one day, and it's like, uh, uh, aren't you the Prime Minister? Yes, I'm wishing everyone a uh, happy Christmas. I'm hoping to get around to everyone by New Year's. Like, goes to another door, and there's like three little girls. Are you carol singers? Uh, so, sure. And they start singing Good King Wenceslas, and like the girl starts spinning around dancing, and it's really cute. And then finally he gets to Natalie's uh, uh, parents' house because she's there with her family because the kids are also in the nativity play. Uh, one of the nephews is an octopus. Eight is a lot of legs, David! <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the other thing, okay, so Natalie, Natalie's played by Martine McCutcheon. You've never heard of her, but she was a huge, like, soap and pop star in Britain at the time. But a lot of the media was always making fun of Martine's weight. Oh. And then there was public backlash against the media for doing so. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of, like, jokes, quote-unquote jokes in the movie about how, like, oh, Natalie's the fat one. And, like, uh, David is the only person who's like, mm, she's not actually fat. Is she? Like, like, oh, no, she's quite fat. She's really not that fat. Dating yourself right there. Yeah. 
in only Anyways. for a specific audience. <laughs> Anyways, that's their plot. Um, David's secretary, or um, yeah, I, not secretary, but like his chief of staff yeah. or British equivalent. She's the second black character in the film. Mm. The third black character is Tony, who is a part-time caterer, part-time porn film lighting assistant. You gotta make money somehow. He He's working on the lighting tech with a pair of porn stand-ins. Uh, one of them is Martin Friedman. And their their whole plot consists of them, like, miming porn sex moves in the nude. In a plot that was easily removable from the theater release, so that they didn't get an R rating. Because mm-hmm. it's just tits out and everything. Well, Europe has different standards when it comes to what's acceptable for the youngins. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, there's also Sarah and Carl. Sarah works for Harry, and Harry's like, you need, to, you, <clears throat> you need to start dating Carl, because everyone in the office knows you have a crush on him, including him. <laughs> and so Sarah, eventually she makes a move, and they are almost leave together, but Sarah also has a brother in a mental hospital who has, I'm guessing, some kind of a, um, personality disorder, but they don't go into it, but basically it's just he's always calling her, and she's always like trying to help him, and she has to make him a priority, and so she ends up not getting together with Carl, and it's the thing that I always bug me is like, Carl seems like a decent person. Why could they not just like figure out a way to work things out? Like, they, they, none of them even show up in the, the the month later finale at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just like Sarah tells Carl that he should go because she has to deal with her brother, and then Carl's like, "Okay, Merry Christmas, Sarah," and Sarah's like, "Okay, Merry Christmas, Carl," and that's it. No resolution for you. Yeah. Um. If we go back to Tony real quick, Tony is also friends with Colin. Uh, Colin Frissel. He's a complete idiot. His port is almost a parody of the rest of these films because he flies. He decides that all British women are stuck up, and that's why none of them will sleep with him. And so he flies to America, specifically Wisconsin, and and immediately has a fivesome with four hot girls because they think his British accent is adorable. It was two thousand three, <laughs> and that's everyone. Um, and that only took half of this podcast. So, how are we going to adapt this? Okay, so first, bringing it to America or Canada, just because if we're going to do this, we might as well make it local. Mm-hmm. Second, this is going to be a TV show. Yes. Not not a miniseries, because I could foresee this having multiple seasons. Yeah. Like, I think the best way to address the issue of things happening in a condensed time frame is make the time frame a little bit longer, and also explore how some of these relationships... Mm-hmm. De- Explore how some of these relationships develop after them mustering up the courage to say, I love you. Yeah. Um, I would say move it to Canada because we have a small enough population that all these people can legitimately know each other. <laughs> I mean, I was also going to say, like, we could even just still put it in the same city. Mm-hmm. Also a bit smaller scale because one of the things that's bugged me with David, um, not... so. So fun fact the the fact that David is the fact that David falls for Natalie despite him being her superior and technically everyone's superior since he's prime minister yeah. but it doesn't come off as an abuse of authority because he never makes a move on her like he's friendly with her and they have clear chemistry but the only time he lets that chemistry like kind of take control is when he does his big speech saying that he's not going to let himself get pushed around by America anymore yeah um and then he doesn't fire her he just like puts her somewhere where he doesn't have to interact with her yeah. often because he is concerned that she will be detrimental to him. Mm-hmm. 
And so I thought it was actually pretty well done for the time. Yeah. But what does bug me is the fact that whenever you have a character who is, like, the head of a country and they do some personally motivated iffy stuff, that just feels weird. Like, I had to stop watching Veep after Selena became the president because, like, oh, when she's, like, a completely feral fool in her position as vice president, like, that's fine. The whole point of the show is that she can't affect anything. Yeah. But then she is the president, now she is directly affecting stuff, and all of a sudden it's all too real. Maybe the fact that it lined up with the Trump presidency had a factor, too. But the, yeah. but the point is that, like, um, with the David or the David equivalent, I would bring him to a lower level of government, like premier or even just... I, I feel feel like mayor might be too small, so I think premier might be the best position or yeah. governor. Yeah, premier or governor. <laughs> what sort of province or state are we talking about? Because I feel like this could also work somewhere like the prairies. Or the Maritimes? I I was thinking BC. Okay. Just because as a as a port city, it also has a lot of people going in and out. Yeah. And that's if we true. can plus it has I mean, many places have airports, but I feel like BC like Vancouver it International makes more sense is to... a pretty big airport. It's a major yeah, and hub so, for a whole bunch of of uh, yeah. airlines. And Heathrow Airport is a major thematic thing in the film because like the the opening quote of the film, it talks about da, da, da. oh it doesn't have the full quote. Oh, okay. The opening quote of the film basically has a voiceover from David talking about how like whenever he is feeling down, he thinks of the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport because uh, like seeing all these people being reunited and all of this love just gives him hope. And uh, he says how. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. Hmm. Um, and that's an, uh, another reason I was thinking maybe, I mean, I guess you don't have to put it in America. Like, obviously, the Twin Towers had an effect on uh, on Canada, too. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking that that could even be a part, uh, like, that opening narration could be a part of a speech that the David equivalent is making, like, in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, because yeah, one of the da- our big contributions during 9-11, if we want to somehow tie that in, is the, um, the town of Gander took in mm. a lot of um, passengers that would have been going to the States. That's a really good point. So actually, maybe we could take this to the Maritimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a slightly different version of come from away <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's not it's really not come from away but like the again the thematic stuff definitely carries over yeah so the other thing with david is that he like he's he's so fucking med milk toast and implied to be centrist like mm-hmm. they, they're very careful not to tell you any of the uh political stances he has on something yeah i i want like his major thing to be like obviously follow similar beats to the president, but I want him to basically be taking a stand for something that's a lot more socially progressive than what the party is hoping because the, mm-hmm. the party is like, okay, I'll just stick to the center. That's how you get elected. And he's like, but the numbers say that's the opposite of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he goes a little rogue against the party and goes for something more socially progressive. And the party is like, oh no, we're fucked. But all the people are like, that's actually a pretty baller. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have to be the second coming of, like, Tommy Douglas or anything, but, yeah. (laughs) To our non-Canadian listeners, hell, to our non-Prairie listeners, look up Tommy Douglas. He's kind of important. Tommy Douglas essentially created the NDP, which is Canada's Socialist Party. 
uh, it was a, like a revamped version of a previous party called the uh, Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. Okay. Which is actually very radical. Like, they were watched by the police. Tommy Douglas is the reason we have uh, universal health care or near yeah. universal health care. Yeah. And he had to fight tooth and nail to get that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's why I say he doesn't have to be the second coming of Tommy Douglas, but he could definitely be like, hey, universal basic income might be a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> or no, he, he just walks onto the podium, trans rights. He walks off, and everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Tells J.K. Rowling to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> J.K. Rowling was visiting the town of Gander. We don't know how, but somehow, while she was with the, while she was with the premier's delegate, she was pushed into the sea and washed away. <laughs> Kira was thinking it could be like the premier of Nova Scotia is passing a law that allows you to self-identify on like your driver's license or something. And J.K. Rowling got on Twitter, and then the premier's like, "Fuck off! <laughs> you don't live here." <laughs> I was also um, so just in general, I feel I I would like this to be both uh, colorblind casting and genderblind casting. Mm -hmm. Just because, really, any of, any of these stories could be queer, and we want to get uh, not have it be so damn white. Yeah, I think the one thing that when casting should be done is like get pairs of actors together to see who has the best chemistry with who. Yeah, because the worst thing out there with a romance film in general is when the the couple clearly barely tolerate each other. Mm hmm. Like obviously. You have, okay, you're going to be reading for the equivalent of Karen, but it's a whole line of people of, like, it'd have an age range, because she's supposed to be, like, a middle-aged housewife. Yeah. But it would be all, it would be men, women, non-binary, and all manner of races, and then the person reading for Harry, it's mm -hmm. the same situation. You could just have yeah. uh, the dissolution of marriage between two lesbians, uh, a very Jessica Jones, Jerry, and her ex-wife situation. Yeah. That being said, there are some specifics, like, I think... It would just make sense to keep the black characters from the original black. Mm -hmm. And I also, specifically, I think that um, whoever is playing the, um, oh gosh, uh, Liam Neeson. <laughs> Whoever's playing Liam Neeson, um, it should be a, a, a not a same gender marriage because I don't want to be bury your gaze. Yeah. Like... Um, what was his name? Daniel. Like, Daniel or equivalent could end up with a guy, or if he's played by a woman, she could end up with another woman at the end. But I yeah. think if played by a guy, it's the wife died. If played by a, a girl, then the husband died. And I'd like the, I like the relationship of it's a step-parent and a step-child. Yes. Obviously keep that. Yeah. Plus then, again, it opens up a lot more options for casting. You don't have to worry yeah. about people looking like each other. Yeah. And, you know, step-parents still get a bad rap, so mm -hmm. it's a lot better now, but you still... I mean, see, he's... Yeah. It's it's never a situation of, oh, I don't like you because you're my stepdad. It's just, like, th there's... Th you you can sense there's a little bit of a gap, but both of them are working to close it. Yeah. And, like, Daniel is very gung-ho about, like, cracking the code. We're gonna figure out how to get you. Like, okay, so there's a person in school that you have a crush on. Does she, he, know your name? Like, and let's, uh, again, like, Sam is crushing on a girl, but the fact that Daniel even suggests that when Sam is at such, such a young age and he still suggests that, mm -hmm. that's pretty dope. And so maybe maybe that's the one where, like, no, this this baby has to be gay. Yeah. 
Um, another thing I'm putting my foot down on the gaze is the situation with Mark, Juliet, and Peter. Because, so, so with Mark, he's at the wedding reception. Yeah. And he's, like, keeping an eye on Peter and Juliet as they dance. And mm-hmm. Sarah sidles up to him. And she says, are you in love with him? And he's like, what? And she's like, no, I just, I saw you and I, you've been watching them intently the entire night. And I just wanted to, what, if no one had asked you the question, I wanted to ask you the question just in case it was the question. And he's like, no, I'm not in love with him. This DJ's terrible. <laughs> and I'm thinking that his plot line could remain like almost the same, but change it so that he is in love with his best friend instead of his best friend's girlfriend because then it's Hans Christian Anderson Ah. (laughs) I'm just it's it's a little bit more I guess palatable yeah I'm almost wanting with the show to have Mark Juliet and Peter their storyline begins with Peter and Juliet getting engaged instead of starting at their wedding yeah and so we see things leading up to the wedding over the course of the show and Mm -hmm. like it's a Christmas wedding instead of it starts with the wedding and then just the fallout yeah. And maybe the fallout can be a season two thing. There's several thing plots that I am saving for season two. Yeah. But basically, it's more understandable and I guess a bit more palatable if Mark having issues with Juliet isn't about him like pulling her pigtails on the playground. It's about him being jealous of her and he's trying to like brush her off and like it's almost he can't help it because he's he, he the it's not that he thought that he would get with Peter at some point, but he almost is being territorial about him because yeah. it's like, well, if I can't have him, I don't want anyone to. Mm-hmm. And he knows it's unhealthy. And yet here we yeah. are. And maybe in, maybe instead of having him like record like a whole bunch of close up video of the best friend, maybe he's just going through the yearbooks, please. Or through Facebook photos. I think, I mean, there definitely has to be a scene where Juliet realizes that Mark is uh, in love with Peter. And she's like, oh, that's why you hate me. I forgot to mention that Juliet's played by Kira Knightley, and she was 18 in this film. Damn. This was just one year after her being a soccer lesbian, and already she's marrying Chiwetla Jaiofer. She doesn't look that old. But but she also, like, it, she is believably of marriageable age. I, I'd like to... Like, they don't really state what their ages are. They're implied to be in their late 20s. But, like, I have Facebook friends who got married fairly young, so. Oh, yeah. There there were two people in our graduating class that were engaged. Yeah. So, like, it's a thing. But still, like, 18. The actress is 18. Was 18 at the time. And uh, Chuetel was 26. <sighs> I'm going to chalk it up to, like, Kara Knightley has, like, a beautiful face, but still, it's hard to pin down what her age is, I guess. Yeah, like like I said, she doesn't look like she's 18 in the film. Yeah. It's just weird to, like, have that in your brain. Yeah. Um. Anyways, even even the uh, the card scene at the end would be more palatable, because it would be Mark going to Julia and, like, Silently saying, look, I know that things have been rough with us, and I'm not going to try and interfere with you and Peter's relationship. Obviously, you two are in love with each other. I don't know if I can stop loving him, but I can. I know I can tamp those feelings down and give you guys 
the respect that you deserve. Mm -hmm. And then Juliet would be like, thank you for like doing this. And also I understand. And then going forward, their arc, the arc could be Juliet trying to set Mark up with people. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, hang on, let me pull out my notes. Cause I did write a few notes down on like some stuff that would occur across the first season. Mm -hmm. Cause what I did was I moved some of these arcs into the second half. Yeah. And I also, where is it now? Oh, hang on. Did this not? Oh, shoot. This didn't sync with my notes. Probably because I wrote it up when I was off data. Shoot. Um, okay. Well, I think I can remember this off the top of my head. One of my ideas was I was going to combine Karen's arc with Jamie's arc in the sense that, yes, Harry uh, does have an affair with his secretary and at the end Karen does decide that she is going to cut and run like I'm even thinking that her finding out about the affair would be maybe two episodes before the finale before the finale then the finale is her just deciding like like it's Christmas Eve and uh, we'll be together for Christmas Day but after this I am leaving you Mm -hmm. and then the next season it's her in not necessarily France, but in some like nice little hidden way cabin. And she's like, I'm going to write a mystery novel now. And oh, who is this beautiful young Portuguese woman who is cleaning my little cabin for me? <laughs> oh no, she's taken all of all of her clothes and dove into the lake to save my manuscript. <laughs> so that does raise the question of who we, we will have to cast someone who can combine both the charm of Emma Thompson and the charm of Colin Firth into a single person. Oh god, that is like a megaton of charm. Because <laughs> remember, Emma Thompson also played Beatrice. Oh yeah. In Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> I was also, I'm going to axe both the, the porn star's plot and Colin's plot. Yeah. Just because even with like a, a 13 episode TV series, it can get pretty bloated. Mm-hmm. So if we, because let's, okay, so let's think about it. We, if we just have, we have Sam and Daniel and Joanna and Karen and Harry, mm-hmm. Mia, Mark, Juliet, Peter, David, yeah. Natalie, mm-hmm. Sarah, and Carl, and Rowan Atkinson. I forgot about Rowan Atkinson. So that's 14 regular characters already. Oh yeah, Rowan Atkinson is in this. <laughs> so so Rowan Atkinson is in this. So here's yeah. the situation. Rowan Atkinson was supposed to be, like his character was supposed to be a Christmas angel that like shows up randomly to help people and like <laughs> either inconveniences them when they're trying to do something bad or helps them out when they're trying to do something good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of his scenes got cut. So yeah. in the, like basically it's just he shows up to gift wrap the necklace that Harry is trying to buy. Yeah. And it's just this long, arduous scene. It's very it's like, Mr. Bean-ish. It, well, except he's, he's talking about, <laughs> it's like, he's, he's very demonair. So I'm like, would you, would you like it in the crits? He's combining Mr. Bean, like physical comedy with Blackadder snarkiness. Yes. <laughs> we have to put it in the Christmas box. <laughs> Be over in the fashions of fashions. He's like pouring like rosebuds into a bag and like tying it with string and like putting a cinnamon stick in. <laughs> so my mom used to work at a soap store for years and she used to like make all these big uh, gift basket things that you could buy. And yeah, they kind of looked like that. 
We'll beat but the flashes are flashes, just one more step. What else are you going to do? Dip it in yogurt? Cover it in chocolate buttons? <laughs> but yeah, so... <laughs> I am going to bring the Rowan Atkinson Christmas Angel type character back. In the sense that he, he'll just appear in one scene in episode. And like, do something completely innocuous. And then at the end be like, Oh, he was helping the characters out by doing this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Um, I feel like he should be played by John Mulaney. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was also, um, maybe not specifically Beanie Feldstein, but whoever plays Natalie should evoke elements of Beanie Feldstein. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And then I was thinking of doing some streamlining of stuff, like... So, Sarah, Sarah is at Peter and Juliet's wedding, so obviously she knows them, so I was thinking of making one or both of them her co-workers, yeah. and then also they all work for Harry as well. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking, so, so Harry runs maybe a fashion magazine, and I was thinking okay. maybe just scooch that a bit, and then the magazine can be the medium through which we introduce the Billy Mack storyline in the second season, and mm-hmm. we save Billy Mack for season two. Oh, right. I was also thinking that with Daniel and Sam, maybe don't even have the spells. Maybe the first season is the spells passing away, and then the second season is dealing with Sam falling in love with a classmate. Yeah, because loss of a parent's a big thing for a kid, so. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just a question of, because if we do that, then the spouse has to be a character too. Yeah. And so that's another person on that. But it does also mean that, like, Sam doesn't have to appear as much. Like, Sam could only appear in a recurring capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, do we want to have that much of a downer in the first season? I think we can handle a downer. Mm. Oh! Okay, the other thing I remember to just help stream on the first season, I was actually, I was going to move Sarah and Carl into season two. Okay. Like, so, oh, okay. Now, now I remember my thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my notes, but I remembered my brain. <laughs> My thinking was that, like, after the affair, mm-hmm. like, Harry Harry can't stand to be, like, the executive publisher or uh, editor. Editor-in-chief is what it would be. Yeah. He can't stand to be editor-in-chief after that because, like, this he had an affair with his secretary. Like, that is ter- ter- terrible optics. So he resigns, and that leaves an opening for one of the coworkers. And so then they become the editor-in-chief. Like, yeah. maybe it is Peter. Because Peter has no character in the movie. But maybe yeah. now Peter is the editor-in-chief. Okay. And maybe that can be, like, part of his arc. Because, like, now now he's technically his wife's boss. That's a little iffy. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, not, not iffy, because they're either married or engaged. But it's, it does... It would lead to some kind of tension and drama. That yeah. could be resolved, because they would communicate. It's a healthy relationship, but yes. <laughs> we need we need conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but because that position has been vacated, that now means there's an opening, and so then that's when Sarah can come in in season two. Yeah. And Carl can just be in the background in season one looking hot. Yeah. <laughs> Does not need much character. Must be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I was another thing I was thinking is that if, if we slow burn... Uh, David and Natalie, then Natalie, like, maybe Natalie isn't pining for David as quickly, and she ends up being one of the Canadian, like, still do Cullen's plot, but it's just, it's con- uh, condensed to a single episode, and it's him coming to Canada, and then yeah. he and Natalie have a one-night stand, and then he just leaves again, and she's <laughs> like, that was odd. <laughs> I think that covers everything that I could think of. Um, um, maybe we can change up Natalie's job 
because there's a whole bunch of different jobs within a premier staff and maybe she doesn't even have to be like directly working for him she could be like here's Lindsay projecting uh she works at the library at the legislature (laughs) that actually yeah that could be something like if he so he's like he's trying to find um precedents that he could use to get some of these more progressive bills uh more favor in the house Mm -hmm. and she helps him find stuff and it's like ooh research flirting (laughs) (laughs) it's a high school au all over again (laughs) (laughs) um and then maybe he he brings her into like he he brings her into the house to help like pitch a thing while i guess if we're in canada i guess the equivalent of president billy bob thornton would be the alberta premier (laughs) 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 and the alberta premier flirts with her (laughs) and he's still played by billy bob thornton (laughs) yeah just throw a cowboy hat on him. I I don't know. There's some sort of... Fuck, the Maritimes have always been trying to get some sort of football team off the ground. <laughs> so maybe they're trying to host the Grey Cup or something. <laughs> or they are hosting the Grey Cup at a university football field. <laughs> Pre- the Pre- Premier David walks up to the podium. Trans rights. Football. Good day. <laughs> we'll get the Irvings to pay for <laughs> Or a football field. Or a football stadium. <laughs> um, I think that covers everything. The only other thing would be that, like, every every season finale would end at Christmas. So, like, if this was on broadcast, it would be a September to December show. Yeah. And then if this was, like, a Netflix where it just releases everything at once, it would just release in December. But mm-hmm. in, in story, it would start at, like, September or even just, like, Halloween. Yeah. Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then every, every season finale has like five minutes during, or ten minutes during New Year's, and it sets up the stuff that's going to be happening in the next season. Yeah. And maybe in future seasons, we will have a pornographic arc. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can have a farm arc and do a shout out to Letterkenny. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if we made this in Canada with Canadians, we'd get at least one Letterkennyan. Yeah, definitely. We'd have Jay Baruchel in here too somehow. <laughs> I feel like Jay Baruchel would be playing the Colin equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> or one of the porn stars. Yes. <laughs> I w- I was more thinking uh Premier Jared Kiso. <laughs> <laughs> he's the he's the Premier of Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Oh, that's the Premier of Saskatchewan. Why is he always squinting? I think that's just his face. <laughs> and he still wears flannels and jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we've gotten as far as we can. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Friendship promo came up to the produce stand the other day. <laughs> Hi everyone, Ryan here to tell you about something cool that is happening very soon. Tanner and I are going to be participating in Pokecasters Network's Tabletop Charity Extravaganza, which is happening on December 19th, 2020. Trainers from all over the Poke World are coming to Driftvale City for the Pokemon World Tournament. It will be a fierce battle to claim the title of Pokemon World Champion. 
This event is going to be awesome and includes some amazing people. The competitors are Zack and Duff from Critical Hitmon Lee, Sky from Pokemon Mind and Body, Harper of Chatotic Creations, Chris from The Science of Pokemon, Not a Scratch His Own, Anaru, and myself and Tanner of this very podcast. Your commentary team includes PCN, Treasurer Jared, Nick from Cubones and Catacombs, and the legendary Mikey of Pokemon Crossroads, along with backstage interviewer Aaron of Pokemon Go FM, and production lead Dozer of Pokemon Champions Podcast. It all goes down on December 19th, so get ready for some high-octane role-playing action! Let's end this year with a bang. Oh, there is one other thing I want to talk about of Love Actually, which is the music. Yeah. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. It's almost no Christmas songs, but I associate the entire soundtrack with Christmas because of this movie. I mean, fair. And also, there's only so many Christmas songs, so I don't think everybody wants to listen to five different versions of All I Want for Christmas is You. Yeah, okay, yeah, but All, all I Want for Christmas is You is popularized because of this film. Like, Mariah Carey hoopsed. Yeah. And to be fair, it is a good song. Oh yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. Like, it's definitely better than... I don't like Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. But that's mostly because they played it way too much at Walmart. That's fair. I like one specific version, which is like from a comic duo from the 70s, I think. Mm. And it's got like bits of dialogue intermingled with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say... We need to add some CanCon in terms of music. So but they, they could also be Canadian covers of like some of the more notable songs. Like at some point, yeah. we got to have the premiere, uh, the dancing or to jump for my love by the Pointer Sisters. Yes. Um, during one of the breakups, we got to have Trouble with Love Is by Kelly Clarkson. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the second season, there is going to be a cover of Christmas Is All Around by our Billy Mac equivalent. Yeah. Oh, oh shit! What's oh god? What's who's that woman with the show? And she's, she's the Canadian singer with the show. Uh, Jan Arden. Yes, Jan Arden. What if Jan Arden plays the Billy Mac equivalent? She would totally be all, all over that. She would love that. <laughs> yes. Her personally, the real person would love that. Yes. <laughs> also, oh, I know that we said that um, John Mulaney would be a great Rowan Atkinson uh, stand-in, but I, I just had a thought. Rick Mercer! Oh yeah, Rick Mercer would also be a really good Roy Atkinson. He's from the same time period, too. Yeah. <laughs> I do have one argument against Rick Mercer, um, and it is based on another thing I just thought of, which I also, I just thought of this like a day ago as well. Ah. I was checking TV tropes, looking at their wild mass guessing, and they suggested that because Rowan Atkinson was supposed to be a Christmas angel, perhaps Mia, the secretary, is a demon from hell. Specifically trying to corrupt Harry and corrupt other people's loves. (laughs) And I feel like John Mulaney would be a better person to play an angel trying to fight the forces of hell at Christmas than Rick Mercer. (laughs) 
Also, if John Mulaney and the person playing Mia are the only non-Canadians, it's like they're not from around here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's at the, at the at the the last ten minutes of the first scene is like you thought this was all rom com. No, this is a supernatural battle between the forces of good and evil. <laughs> Christmas romances just happen to be at the epicenter. <laughs> this is the better version of supernatural. <laughs> Tune in next week where we reboot Supernatural. John Mulaney is playing Castiel. Yes. Um, that's a note that we would have gone to a French show promo if I hadn't already put the segue in five minutes earlier. So instead, <laughs> Lindsay, I'm just going to ask you: unless there's anything else you can think of, or have we gone completely feral at this point? I think we are completely off our rockers. All right, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are letters for not if I boot you first, and they're pronounced, And he's got a big knob! You can also email us at notifyboutyourfirst at gmail.com. You can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your favorite story arc and love, actually. Uh, that's where you could send us a French or promo, be it an audio clip or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or YouTube, even your DeviantArt. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea, because we like being surprised. If you'd like to support us directly, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash notifyboutyoufirst, where you can get a bevy of bonuses by supporting us financially, including a weekly shadow for all our patrons, including... Charlie, Cassidy, Christina, Julia, and Rem. Thank you all. That being said, we also know that there are plenty of other more important causes out there, such as the current uh, runoff elections in Georgia. Make sure you're able to support the Democratic candidates. Also, be sure to support uh, First Nations rights all across the world, but specifically the stuff going on in the Maritimes, because there is still fishery stuff happening in there that is hot bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just as helpful to support us by leaving a rating and review of us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Not if I reboot you first is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows to share the network with at CornerPodNet on Twitter. And last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pichu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay, I hear you got a People's Choice poll hint next week thing. Yes, the people have spoken, and we're going to be rebooting something very fun and exciting and uh, rather formulating for a lot of people from way back in the day. Someone once told me the grass was much greener on the other side. Okay. Yep. I know nothing about the next week's topic, but I'm sure you'll be able to educate me very well. Just like how I spent half an hour explaining the War of Agla actually to you. <sighs> it's fine. They put in so many things in that. This is true. This is very true. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, we'll learn more about what Lindsay's doing for the People's Choice selection next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye.